You know, um, I don't know if you noticed, but we have some really nice windows in this building. And I thought we might spend the next few weeks thinking about the content, the story that is uh, contained in these stained glass windows. Back when uh, most people were not able to read and write, um, this was the only, well, this is kind of medieval PowerPoint, That's uh, except the slides didn't change. But look around on a bright, sunny day, and especially at night, it's really gorgeous and lit up in here. Now, if you're like me, and you're attracted to bright and shiny things, lock into Rick for a little while. Come back, come back. But we're going to be talking about um, the story that's contained in these uh, stained glass windows. And the, the story that we're going to talk about, that we're going to start off with uh, today, is uh, I've entitled it The Day of Small Beginnings. Now, it's really interesting. I would love for you to be in my head sometimes a Sunday morning between 9.30 and 10.30 before everything gets started. Or maybe it's, maybe it's a good thing you're not in my head because there's not much room there. But it's interesting because you're meeting new people and catching up and, and, you know, just touching base with a variety of concerns. Well, this morning, you'll never guess what happened to me. I'm kind of bombing by up the ramp here where my usual place. I'm sure I had somewhere urgent and important to go. At least it felt that way. And who do I meet by that window over there. See that window by the ramp? The one with the baby Jesus? Young Sam. I said, hi Sam, what are you doing? I'm learning about Jesus. I thought, okay, shut up Rick and listen. You know, stop, stop, time out. So I thought, well this is too good to be true. So he stopped and we looked at the picture and saying, what, what, uh, what are you learning about Jesus? What, what does that show you? Sean, I might need your help with the slide this morning. It doesn't seem to be advancing. Yeah. Okay. Can you advance that slide, Sean? Or if not, okay, don't worry. We don't need that. We have ancient PowerPoint. Over there... And it's okay, it's going to be uncomfortable for you folks in this section. But looking over in that window, what does that picture of Mary and Joseph and the donkey and the baby Jesus in the manger, what does that tell you about God? What does that tell you about the nature, God and the kingdom of God? What does that tell you? Okay, that God is present. Yeah? Okay, thanks. We'll get someone else to have a turn. Anything else? He's the light of the world. Yeah? Pardon? Yeah, it's about his birth. Yeah, now now let's stop that, right? That's a really good important. And it's easy for us to gloss over that. God wants to reclaim his kingdom, right? He wants to reclaim his planet. His planet has been, the the allegiance of human beings has been usurped and stolen from him by the prince of darkness, okay? By Satan. 
He's come in and he's... And to get back at God, if you want to get back at somebody, you go at what they love the most, right? If you really want to hurt them. So Satan goes after human beings and God's planet. And people start wandering away from God. And we have this sin nature in our DNA that causes this selfish self-destruction that causes all the junk that's going on in the world today. And God says... I'm going to reclaim my planet. So that picture over there is the picture of an invasion. Now, it doesn't look much like D-Day, does it? It doesn't look anything like Saving Private Ryan. But that picture over there is a picture of God's invasion. So it came, and this is something we could take for granted a little bit, but it starts with a birth. Now, the thing I like about talking at Chris, about Christmas in May is that you can get away from all the sentimentalism and commercialism and all the hype and all the weary, burnt-out Christmas shoppers and all that sentimental nonsense and just talk about, let's think about the implications of God becoming one of us. Let's think about that for a minute. That's worth looking at the picture and meditating. What are some of the implications of God becoming one of us? That's a big question for a Sunday morning, I know. And, 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 and I know you came waiting, to, well, not waiting, or maybe enduring hearing me talk, but I want you to think, I want you to, to talk back to me a little bit. Let's, let's, let's brainstorm a little bit. What are some of the implications of God the creator becoming human. He experiences what we experience. Holy cow, we could dine all week on that one, couldn't we? He experiences what we experience. Let's think about that for a minute. Let's go through the life of Jesus and think about some of the things. He was born poor, right? Not many of us could say we were born in a barn. Although my mother used to ask me that sometimes when she saw my table manners, but that's another story. Born in a, in a, into a poor family, um, Jesus was a refugee when he was just a toddler, right? He was a political refugee. He had to run for his lives. And in Noel's prayer, he acknowledged that there are some folks who've come who had to leave their homelands for various reasons, Right? See, he was a political refugee. He was part of a despised race. He was Jewish, right? So he could relate to everyone who ever entered the gates of Auschwitz or Birkenwald, any place like that. He was deserted by his friends, totally misunderstood by his family. No one here could ever relate to that. He just went through all the stuff that human beings go through. And he can totally relate to us when we go to him. That's why it was so strategic. And God had to, to just come into the world as, a, a, as a, a fertilized embryo and just do the whole nine-month nine thing like, like all of us did and, and go through his mom's birth canal and, and, and be, I'm sure, the Bible doesn't say anything about 
toilet training or breastfeeding or discipline in the household or not much well, well there there is one story that we'll talk about next week about jesus as a as a tween as a 12 year old boy but all of that human experience that means the creator knows what it's like when you go through a difficult time in life isn't it comforting to talk to someone who's gone through a similar experience that's why some of not always but some of the best counselors or some of the best people helpers are people who've gone through a similar experience and as long as they don't say i know exactly how you mean but i i've been through a similar circumstance there's that sense of relating right the ability to relate so when we talk to Jesus, we know that we're talking to someone who's gone through similar experiences. I didn't tell you everything about my conversation with Sam this morning. We talked some more. We looked at the detail of the, the donkey's got a really interesting nostril. If you spend any time by that, by that window, it's interesting details there. But as people were coming into the service, Sam said, look, People are lining up to see Jesus. I thought, right on, kid, preach it. We're going to feast on that one for a month, too. People are lining up to see Jesus. This morning, when we share communion together, people will be lining up to see Jesus. Because when we do communion, there'll be three stations of elders, couples at the front and two at the back. And we'll invite you to line up and see Jesus. You may not see him literally, unless you look at the windows, but to, to encounter him. And we'll invite you to, to share in the cup and the bread and take it there and go back and sit down and just wait and pray for everyone to finish. We'll invite you to come up for a blessing or if you want something specific to be prayed for, well, we can do that too. And we pray in Jesus' name, in his authority. Why? Because he was a human being like us and he can relate to everything that we went through. Don't just walk by that window and not think about the implications of Jesus becoming a human being because it's very powerful. The Bible says, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. That is a, a reference in, in Zechariah to another event that was happening. But the principle is this, is the same. Don't look down on small things, because great things come out of small beginnings. Jesus, Savior of the world, at a very insignificant beginning in life. Very insignificant. It was just a small place uh, a small village where he was born. But great things came out of that. Sean, I'm sorry, I'm going to need your help because I need you to advance this for me because things aren't working. One more. There. I'm going to quickly read a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. 
So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he's used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It's foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. It's foolish for the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended. And the Greeks and the Gentiles say, it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. So what does this picture say about the kingdom of God? God's priorities seem to be upside down to ours. They are, aren't they? Because God's weakness is greater than man's strength. God's foolishness is greater than man's wisdom. If we were planning to take over a planet, that picture over there would not be our invasion. We go in big time, right? We go in and overpower people. We would overwhelm people. We would use shock and awe, just like Norman Schwarzkopf did when he evaded Iraq the first time. Shock and awe. Well, there's not much shock and awe in that picture. Just a little baby. God came in through the back door at Bethlehem to woo his kingdom, to woo us back through love, not through control, not through power, but through love and human weakness, using fallible human beings to extend his kingdom. And that's good news for all of us. That's good news. Even though the kingdom of God seems to be upside down, it means that we can't depend on our own accomplishments to get right with God. There's no point in showing off. There's no point in saying, hey God, look, look at all the things I've done for you. God's not impressed by that. He does respond to people who have a humble and contrite heart and seek him. I learned an important fact in agriculture a couple of weeks ago. Actually, during my visit to Ontario, I was talking to a fellow pastor, and he said, the best soil is the kind of soil that has the most uh, stuff in it because it's, then it's well fertilized, right? So you might think you have a lot of stuff in your life. And maybe you're wondering, I don't even know why I'm going to church today because I've got so much stuff in my life. But sometimes that makes the best soil because it helps us realize our need for God, right? And that's a good place to be in. That leads us really well into communion because communion is about connecting with God, not just about filing up here and taking a bread and a cup and going through some ritual out of habit. But it's about us seeking God. It's about us wanting to connect with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is wherever God is in charge. Okay? That's where the kingdom of God is. So if God is in charge of Henry, if Henry says, okay, God, be in charge of me, the kingdom of God is in Henry. Get it? 
I know I can pick on him because I see the kingdom of God in him. And the kingdom of God is in Luann. And I know I can talk about her because I know her best. And the kingdom of God is in her and it expands. And so the kingdom of God is in those of us where God is in charge, right? Where God is the king. This kingdom is going to and is in the process of overwhelming the present kingdom of this world. And it's a source of healing and restoration and blessing for the world. And we can be a part of that. But for us to do that, we need to come back to God's kingdom values and remind ourselves that God's weakness is greater than man's strength. God's foolishness is greater than man's wisdom. To be completely dependent on him and to ask him for strength so we can represent his kingdom in the kingdom of this world. That's what these pictures portray. We'll be going through them the rest of the month. Now, first of all, I want you to think, just, just remember, don't despise the day of small beginnings. This thing started off small, but it's huge now, huge. And we get to be in on that. Now, I'm going to ask um, everyone who's serving the communion to come up and sit in the front. It doesn't matter what row you sit in. Just, just sit up here for a minute. And we're going to ask God's blessing on us as we line up to see Jesus. All right? Think about that. Think about lining up to see Jesus. What a great opportunity. Yeah, thank you, worship team. And we can prepare our hearts by saying, Jesus, I just want to connect with you. I want to meet with you. Now, you might, not, you might think, well, I'm not good enough to take communion. And I'd say, you're right. Just line up right behind me because I'm not good enough either, okay? This table is open for people who follow Jesus, all right? You may have been successful at it this week or not. If not, then there's a special encouragement to come and get right with them and say, I want to get back on track. I want to get centered. I want to connect with you again. The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. The cup represents his blood that was shed and spilled for us. And when we come, we come in humility and we remember what he's done and we commit ourselves to following him and asking Holy Spirit to fill us with his presence and power and his holiness, okay? Now, when the elders are standing, there'll be some here and some here and over here and a couple of places at the back. We just invite you, if you want, they will ask you, would you like us to pray for you? All right? You don't have to. Maybe if you're not even sure about taking communion, it's okay to come up with your hands crossed across your chest and say, I think I'd just like to come up for a blessing today. That's fine. No pressure. We'll invite you to take the cup and the bread. Just take it right at the front when it's offered to you and give them the empty cup and, and go and just sit and, and wait and pray for the other folks who are going through. Okay? Let's, let's make this a time of seeking God and letting God speak. We've, there's been a lot of good content this morning in the scriptures that have been read and the songs that have been sung and the prayers that have been prayed 
all these things. You can even meditate on some of the medieval PowerPoints that we have up here. That'd be great. But let God speak to you. Line up and seek Jesus. Jesus, we pray in your name that you will bless communion now, that you bless us as we share this cup and this bread. We don't want to do it because it's just a routine thing that we do or something that we tack on to the end of the service. But we know that you will meet every seeking heart today because you became one of us. You went through everything that a human being could experience. All the challenges and griefs and sorrows. So we know that we can relate to you. I pray that your healing power, your Holy Spirit, would be especially present as we seek you. In Jesus' name, amen.